Well, some of you that hate math class, you probably are panicking right now because you heard multiplication, you see a whiteboard, and I'm holding a marker. <laughs> we might throw out some numbers, but promise there's no quiz on your multiplication skills, and uh, we're not going to talk about math class. Well, at least from an educational standpoint. But we have been in a series about core values called This Is Us, and we want you to know as a church kind of like where we are at with what we believe and what we value the most. Uh, as, as I've learned over the last few days this week, uh, we'll give you six core values, but that's not the only thing we value, but we want you to be able to see these particular values in everything that we do. We started out by saying we want to treat everybody as outside, or everybody as insiders, excuse me, not outsiders. We want everybody to be treated as insiders because we want everybody to be inside the, the realm of Jesus Christ. We want every person that walks through the doors, whether they're, you know, a child or whether they're a senior adult and everybody in between, we want you to feel like you're a part of God's kingdom. And when you get here, we want you to feel like family because because of the cross, we are all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And we may have come in as strangers, but we want to be family. Then we share with you about we want to be Bible-centered, that everything that we do from individual to corporate, from Bible studies and life groups to decisions that we make about the church, we want everything to be centered around what does the Bible say for us to do. As a family, we want to make sure that your families are, are, are centered around the Bible, your relationships are centered around the Bible, your, your ability to do anything is centered around the Bible. Because for us, that is where everything goes. Everything from the Old Testament to the New Testament points to Jesus. The Gospels are all centered around Jesus. And everything from Acts to Revelation points us back to Jesus. That means everything that we need is found in the Bible. Because everything points to Jesus. Then we talked about life-changing relationships. Because for us, there's really two life-changing relationships that everybody needs. It starts with that vertical relationship that everybody has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because He's the one, He's the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life is what he said. No one comes to the Father but by me. So we need that relationship first and foremost. And the relationship that's second is relationship with other people, specifically those that are, going, that are going to encourage us in the faith. And it may be that we get encouraged. It may be that we, we are the encouragers. But somehow, some way, we need relationships with other people to grow us and to help us get to uh, more, more or, excuse me, I can't even talk. It's not even English today. <clears throat> See, I should have paid attention to English, not math but that we would go to higher levels because of our relationships with other people. And so in next week, we're going to talk about plurality and leadership. You notice around here that we don't have a senior pastor. And for some of you, that's a strange concept. For us, it just means that we have multiple pastors, multiple leaders to be able to do the work of the kingdom. And that only is not only in our, in our senior structure, but it's also in our structure around the church. We don't have only one person doing stuff. We have teams and we have plurality of leadership amongst all of our ministries because we want to make sure that everybody has a, a part to play. Everybody has a role to play. I'm sure there are leaders here and there's leaders there, but we want everybody to share in what the, the work of the kingdom is because it's not for our glory, it's for the Lord. And so we want to make sure that we share it. And then serving together. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a story. Everybody has something they can do for the kingdom. But what makes us stronger is when we do it together. When we come together as community, we come together as friends. We put our spiritual gifts together and we serve alongside one another. How we could just change this world for the kingdom of Christ when we're doing it right. And today we're going to talk about strategic multiplication. And the value here is that we value multiplying ourselves in such a way that whatever happens here... Whatever happens at this moment, because of the gospel, we want to multiply ourselves so the gospel extends far beyond us. Because if the gospel stops here, 
we didn't do our job right. We didn't worship the Lord the way we needed to. If, if we get saved and that's it and there's no more, we have only read half the gospel. Because the other half is to go into the world and teach the nations, baptizing them as believers. So we've got to do more than just come in here and soak up knowledge. But we want to multiply our faith. We want to multiply our church. We want to multiply our life groups. We want to multiply our, our ministries here because we want to do things that outlast us. In some ways, we want, to plant tree, we want to plant trees that will never enjoy their shade. We want to make sure that we're multiplying ourselves in, in incredible ways. Because as we look at the Gospels, as we sat back as elders uh, several months ago, as we sat back and we started thinking about this idea of multiplication amongst our church, we started seeing how we've been doing that. Over the last six years, we've actually multiplied in from one campus to two campuses. That didn't come without uh, its difficulties because when you start a new campus and trying to keep everybody together, that's incredibly difficult, but we've managed. We've unified. We now have this campus here in Donaldson that you're sitting in. We have our sister campus in Mount Juliet that's doing some great things, and we have multiplied our campuses, but we're still one church, one body. Tonight, we get to come together at night of worship at 5 p.m. out of Mount Juliet. I encourage you to join us because it'll be one of the chances where we get to all come together in that same umbrella and worship together as a church family. It's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. When you multiply campuses, you also multiply ministries. That means on both places, we have preschool, we have children, we have student ministries, we have life groups. They look a little differently from campus to campus, but we have the same ministry, the same mindset of trying to develop disciples of Jesus Christ who gather, grow, and go in both places. We've multiplied and we've added staff because we needed to meet the, the needs. We've multiplied leaders and empowered some of you to, to step up into different roles that, that we needed some leadership or we needed some volunteers. Because the ministry is too big for one person. The ministry is too big for a small group of people. We need everybody. And so we want to multiply ourselves. But this idea is not new to us. This idea, this value of strategic multiplication did not just, one day we were sitting around having coffee and go, you know, we should just multiply ourselves. This would be a great idea. No, we didn't do that. We started seeking the scriptures and we noticed in scripture multiple times where God began to multiply ministries to have greater effectiveness for the kingdom. Think about going all the way back to the Old Testament, Moses, something that we've been studying with my discipleship group of guys for the last couple of months now. When Moses had millions of people literally in the desert walking in circles for 40 years, he got really upset because he's like, I cannot handle all this stuff. These people complain and they want water and they want bread. And they said, stop the bread. And they said, we need new water. And it's like nonstop complaining. And God said, you know what, Mo Moses, one of the things that you're missing is you're not the only leader in this tribe. And so he multiplied Moses' leadership, and all of a sudden, the children of Israel had a number of leaders to help them and to grow, to navigate the 40 years in the desert, and then to move them into the promised land. It's incredible how God multiplied the ministry of the children of Israel and did some incredible things for generations to come. We pray the same would happen to us. Last week, Justin talked to us about Paul. And at the time, his name was Saul because he really had not converted fully. And then after he converts and really engages his life, he stopped being called Saul and went into his name Paul as we know him, the Apostle Paul that wrote so much in the New Testament. And as we looked at his life, we began to see what great multiplication had happened, not only through him, but also what happened to him. So before we get too involved in this, I want to just share with you kind of where the church had come from to that point in Acts and then we want to just take a look at one of the ways that Paul multiplied himself into other people. 
So if I can, just one more time, short prayer as we get ready to dive into this, this, this scripture. Father, as we get ready to look into the Bible, may we multiply ourselves for your kingdom and for your glory. God, I pray for some of us that we would, we would open our eyes and our minds to the fact that you have already begun to multiply into us by the relationships that you've put in place. And God, that you would want to empower us and to train us and to equip us for greater things so that what we know is not only for us, but we would take it and share it with whoever we could. God, that we would be strategic and we'd be willing to to expand and to multiply for your kingdom and for your glory. As we open the word, let it speak truth to us in a way we've never heard before. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so here's your history math lesson. And by the way, in case you're wondering some useless Scott Matthews trivia, I wanted to be a history math teacher and a baseball coach. So this is right up my alley. You probably hate math and history. It's okay. Just endure with me for 26 minutes and 10 seconds and we'll be good. So back in the day in the church, the church started literally with Jesus and 12 people. That's the beginning of... The New Testament church. When we get to Acts 1, as Jesus comes back and he spends time with the church, it's Jesus plus 12. And obviously there are other people in the New Testament, and I've read the scriptures just as much as you. I know there are other people that were coming to Bible studies, but the formation structure of the church was literally Jesus plus 12. As you get into Acts, then you begin to see that, hey, we've, we've added some, and now you get into Acts 1, and now there's 125. So within about 60 days, the church has gone from 125, or excuse me, 12 to 125 within a couple of months' time. That is an incredible church plant that any church planter would say, I am game for that. And then not too long after that is when the day of Pentecost and and the Holy Spirit comes on the room and, and crazy things are happening. Weird things are happening. Holy things are happening there with amongst the 12. And their languages are scattering. And all of a sudden, they have that great moment where everybody goes, hey, it looks like the disciples are really losing it. And Jesus is gone. And, man, they're just getting hammered. It's not even 10 a.m. And Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And as he preaches, he preaches so eloquently and really beyond his capacity. And the only way that he preaches so well is because the Holy Spirit has come upon him. And he is speaking, he is speaking truth, hard truth but important truth. And as Peter preaches, we get to Acts 2. And all of a sudden, we got thousands coming to know Jesus Christ. So in about two to three months, we went from Jesus plus 12 to 125 to now we got thousands. Now for you that are panicking, That's a lot of people. And if this was the structure, there's no way 12 people, because remember Jesus ascends, so he leaves. That's kind of like the great, good luck, fellas, see ya. But he sends them the Holy Spirit. So it's the 12 plus the Holy Spirit now, and now they have thousands. There's no way they can do it by themselves. And so Jesus, before he leaves, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit begins to teach the people what to do. And he has that great moment in Acts 2, 42 through 47, where it says, they were all together. They studied together. It didn't say the 12. He's talking about everybody that is now believing Jesus. Everyone that is in the way, they're studying together. They're worshiping together. They're praying together. They're eating together. They're fellowshipping together. They're sharing resources together. 
All these things are happening, and as they're doing that, what's happening is they're empowering people to help lead the church. And they're strategically multiplying themselves, not only for that moment, but for around the world. And for them, the, the, remember, the world wasn't very big at the time. But they are literally spreading themselves out in the gospel in all kinds of crazy ways. If you do a study of the disciples, from this moment right here, the disciples go in about 12 different directions doing unimaginable things for the kingdom. Most of their stories did not have happy endings. Some of them did have happy endings. Then you get John. He just got exiled to an island. Doesn't sound bad. But he continued to work for the kingdom and send letters and continued to train the church beyond the twelve. And so in the midst of all this, we have this great multiplication that's happening. And then you get Saul. This is why last week was so incredible as Justin and Aaron was sharing on Mount Juliet. Justin here, you get Saul that's trying to ruin this. He's just trying to wreck this. And he's trying to discourage people from coming to know Jesus Christ. And yet God has something bigger for him. And God has something bigger for you and I. Because God doesn't want to ruin what's happening. He wants to, he wants to in, encourage it. He wants to, to grow it. He, and as we have said here, he wants to throw some gasoline on the fire and make it burn brighter. And so as we go through this process, we want to set ourselves up so whatever we do, the gospel extends and expands far beyond us. And so that's what we want to do. We want to multiply our kingdom. What does that look like for us? Now, please don't panic when I say this, because Aaron Lloyd gets a twitch when we start talking about a third campus. It may mean for us that in three years, five years, we have a third campus. We have a fourth campus where we are finding areas in this city, which you would think it's a church-rich area. There actually are areas in Nashville where there are no churches that we could go to some of those subdivisions, those areas, and, and we could multiply and reach those people, sending life groups and ministries, sending resources to help and grow the kingdom. Not so that we, the fellowship, can have this great glory in this corner of the market in Nashville. That's not what we're doing. So that we can take the gospel to people that, don't, that haven't heard it, that don't know it exists, and that need it desperately. I mean, imagine if, if you had come to church, or maybe not even come to church. Imagine if nobody ever reached you for the gospel. Where would you be? If no one had ever shared with you about Jesus, no one had ever invited you to church, where would you be? I guarantee you some of you would, would have responses like, uh, well, I'd, I wouldn't be here. I'd probably be dead. My marriage would be ended. My kids would be a wreck. I would be lost, and I would have no hope. And there's probably a thousand more responses that we could come up with. But because God has multiplied the ministry in different ways, because God has set up life groups and age group ministries in this church, because God has, has encouraged your friends to invite you to sit in that seat today, you have already been multiplied into. And that's a beautiful thing is it didn't start here. It continued here. And it will continue here as we begin to multiply ourselves for the kingdom. Turn with me to Acts 18, if you will. I want to look at one story specifically where Paul has multiplied himself into a family and what they get to do for the kingdom. As you're turning, I'm going to give you just a little bit of context. In Acts chapter 17, Paul has been preaching and teaching. And as some of you know fully well, 
when you start preaching the gospel, people aren't always receptive to it. People don't always like the, the fact that you're trying to give them hope, to give them a future. That sounds kind of counterproductive. Wouldn't we all want hope and wouldn't we all want a future? Yet somehow, way back in the Bible, they didn't want that. They'd rather collect you in a church instead of empower you to go reach people for the gospel back in the, in the, in the Bible days. So in Acts 17, Paul is moving and he's preaching. And all of a sudden, they can't find him. And they being the, the Jews of the day and age, those that are just full on, just hard-pressed that the church should not grow anymore, that the way is what they called it at the time. We would call it today Christianity. Back in the day, they called it the way. We, they wanted to make sure the way didn't happen. They wanted to kill it. They wanted to end it. They wanted to do. And they knew that Paul was one of the ringleaders. So we're, they're figuring in their mind, remember, this is the same plot they had with Jesus. If we can get him and we can shut him up, then we can stop the way. So all this is happening, and through Acts 17, all of a sudden they can't find Paul, but they can find followers of Jesus. And so they find a guy named Jason, and they find some of the other brothers and sisters of the way, and they literally drag them to court. And their response is, they are flipping the world upside down. They can't describe it. They can't argue against it. They just know they don't like it. And so their argument to the court is they are literally turning this world upside down. And I want to tell you as a church, I hope that's on our business card. I hope that our business card said the fellowship at Two Rivers, the fellowship at Mount Druid, the fellowship at wherever we end up in 5, 10, 15 years down the road. The fellowship is a church that is literally turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Because then that means that we are multiplying ourselves into a community that needs us desperately. That we are growing our faith into other people that need us and not really need us. They need us to reach, reach them to, for Jesus Christ. Because they need that hope. They need that future. They need that salvation. They need that grace and forgiveness. And the beautiful thing is, it, this isn't like a dream down the road. This is happening right now. Because, again, some of you are sitting in this room right now because someone has prayed for you, someone has tried to reach you, someone has nagged you of coming to church, and you are here because of that. They are trying to multiply themselves into you and show you Jesus Christ. So Paul has this, this, this moment, Jason has this moment where they are literally, the argument is they're turning the world upside down, and the church continues to grow. Because remember what Justin was telling us last week? When all the, the heads of state and heads of religion got together, they were like, well, hey, look, guys, um, let's be honest. If this is, you know, a man thing and man came up with this and man's driving this home, then as soon as the man dies, the way ends. But if God is a part of this, there is nothing we can do. Wow. So here you have a, a person that's in the religious authority saying, if God is a part of this, there's nothing we can do. And now you have this group of people saying, they are turning this world upside down. I think what he said in chapter 8 is now happening in chapter 17. There's nothing they can do and the world is turning upside down. The church is expanding. So now we get to chapter 18 and that's where I want to rest for a few minutes. Chapter 18, we're going to we're kind of divide it up a little bit. We'll start in verses 1 through 4. And this is how strategic multiplication is playing out in this new church, in the church of the New Testament. It says this in Acts chapter 18, 1 through 4. It says, After this, he left Athens, he being Paul, and went to Corinth, where he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, 
who had recently come to Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had come from Italy because uh, Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and since they were the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. So here's what is happening in a nutshell. You have Paul, and then you have Aquila and Priscilla. Dear Lord, don't let me misspell names today. So on paper, this looks like not a big deal. But if you've been here a long time, and by long time, I mean probably over nine months, you remember that back in the day, we talked about our discipleship pathway and how we can grow as disciples and how we want to not only grow disciples, but we want to make sure that the, there's just a continuous cycle of us growing disciples. So if you remember that or if you're brand new, let me try to give it to you in a nutshell as best I can. Basically, Paul becomes the entry into faith for Aquila and Priscilla. This is for us a huge deal at the fellowship because part of our strategy here is to make sure that we're always inviting people. That's why when we say, hey, take an invite card and find a neighbor or find a friend or, or find a coworker or family member, this is not just something like a gimmick like, hey, we got free coffee cups. This is these people of you that you know, they need to be here. And we want to find whatever way we can to get them here. That could be an invitation to Sunday morning. That could be a special event that we do like paint and praise, for instance, last Friday with our children's ministry. They could be anything we want because we want you to come. And once again, some of you have been recipients of this. And here's what happened. Here's the strategy behind getting you here. Secrets out now. We want to invite you, but not only do we want to invite you, we want to, we want to make sure that you stay and you feel welcome. And so Paul has become the entry into Priscilla and Aquila. We don't know if they came to know Jesus before they got here. There's not a whole lot of backstory on that. But we do know that they have become very influential in the church. That they have become a couple that is not only bought into the church, but they're also trying to keep it going and to move it in powerful ways. They have become what we, uh, well, let's say a life group. This is what it's become. Paul would go to work. Aquila would go to work. They would make tents. They come home. They have life group together. They study the Bible. This is about 18 months of a relationship. That's a long commitment, is it not? Some of us do good for 18 minutes. But yet this is an 18-month relationship where they are constantly growing into one another. This is an iron sharpening iron conversation. For some of you, this is you. and This is us. And we want to enter into a long-term relationship with you because we want to help you see the things of the gospel that you don't see. We want to show you things about Jesus that you never thought possible. We want to do whatever it takes to develop you as a disciple of Jesus Christ who gather, grows, and go. And that's what we want for you because we believe whatever we pour into you, God has a plan for you. Now, that's not always going to happen in the next 10 minutes. It could take 18 months as it happens here. But we want you to be able to move in that direction. Pick up with me in verse 5. When, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching uh, the word. And he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted and blasphemed, he shook off his clothes and, and told them, Your blood is on your own hands because I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go speak to the Gentiles. So he left there and went to a house of the man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next door uh, to the synagogue. 
Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to, a vision, uh, to Paul in a vision in the night, Do not be afraid, but keep on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you or hurt you because I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and a half teaching the word of God. So now not only do we have Paul encouraging Aquila and Priscilla, but now you have Timothy. You have Silas. You have, we'll call him TJ. And you have this now forming as a church. You have this great New Testament church forming in the city where, let's be honest, this church, and Paul writes a couple letters later, this is not the poster child of churches. But you have this great foundation of leadership now pouring into this church, pouring into this city. And there's a great work starting here. Now for us, the temptation would be to put this on us and saying, hey, look, we've been poured into. We've got a great work of the Lord, and this is all we need to do. This is all we need is right here. Us four, no more kind of mentality. But I'm telling you, the work of the Lord didn't stop here. It just kind of grew here. And as we go in here, and as we strategically multiply, there's something that happens here that I want to make sure you know. Strategic multiplication started right here because these people became equipped. Right here in this moment, we need strategic multiplication, but it starts with equipping ourselves with the, with the gospel, meaning you've got to grow. If all you get on a, on a Sunday morning is all you get, then you're not getting enough. That's like getting a bowl of chips and dips at, at, the, at the Mexican restaurant. That's not enough for me. I need the fajitas. And if we're going to Uncle Julio, might as well go ahead and make it a double order. I need the goodness of what is there. I don't need the appetizer. The appetizer tastes great. Don't get me wrong. There have been a few times I've made a meal out of chips and salsa. But it's not enough. And if you are making a meal out of what happens on Sunday morning, it's not enough. It's just the appetizer. This is our front door into what God has for you. That's why we say we've got to grow in our faith. We've got to get in life groups. We've got to get equipped. But not only for you to go and to be in a life group and just kind of soak and absorb, but you need to participate in this process. You need to be equipping somebody else behind you or beside you and sometimes in front of you. Because think about it. How many people, if you're in a life group right now, how many people teach in your life group? I'm going to point the finger at myself because my life group, 99% of the teaching happens with me. So those in my life group are going, hope you're talking to yourself, pal. And now they're all getting nervous about what comes next. But why is it only one or two, three people teach in a life group? Why is it not all of them? Because you have just as much to equip the next person as I do. In fact, I know probably about three or four in my life group that could teach me a thing or two. Now they're really getting nervous. We need to equip one another. Proverbs says, as, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need to approach this because how we grow is how we grow together. How we grow this church is because we come together in community. How we grow together is because we don't settle for what we found out on Sunday or the, the devotional that we read during the week. We constantly engage in fellowship and Bible study to grow our faith. 
Why did the Acts 2 church have something written about them that says, and the Lord added daily to their number? Because they were constantly equipping one another, training one another, sharing together, growing together. And I know for the introverts in the room, that really makes you scared. But this is a safe place. And the rest of us introverts in the room, we're glad you're here. Maybe one day we'll actually talk to one another. Who knows? But when we come together, where you're weak, somebody's strong. And where you're strong, somebody else is weak. And if we come together, we become unified. If we become unified, then we really flip the world upside down for Jesus Christ. But we've got to be willing to put our pieces together with somebody else's pieces. And we multiply ourselves together. And we make this beautiful thing called the fellowship. And really, truly, we become a body of Christ. And we become so much bigger than ourselves. So we've got to be where strategic multiplication starts with us being equipped. Now, I'm going to say that this wasn't the easiest 18 months of Paul's life. Can you imagine as he's read scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture, and they're like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? Paul had a little history. Remember, he came from religious background. He came from the educational system. He knew some of these things. They're coming in on the fly going, what does that mean? That's why we say it doesn't happen in 10 minutes. It doesn't happen in 30 minutes. We need constant and consistent growing because we need to make sure that it makes sense as we begin to share it. Because how many of you have sat in a Bible study, whether you're a part of our church or you're a guest, how many of you have ever sat in a Bible study where you heard something or heard a teaching or maybe it was a worship service, maybe it was even a worship song, and all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and goes, oh yeah, that's what that means. For 18 months, that's what Paul got to experience with these people right here. And they continuously grew. They read different Bible chapters. They read different stories. They shared together. They probably argued together. They definitely prayed together. And God began to change their world. Because one of the best things about this is, in this particular moment, these people right here got trained in community. They got trained in community, meaning they learned from one another. They grew together. Do you know why some of us have a hard time with community? Because we're afraid of people seeing the bad things about us. Do you know what the best thing about that community is? They didn't care. Because the worst thing about them was the same thing. It was the worst thing about everybody. They had sin in their life. But when you're in community and you realize we're all on the same page, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your bank account says. It doesn't matter where you came from or what side of the tracks. It doesn't matter what you know or what you don't know. We all come together because we know we all need Jesus. And we come into community like that, man, we can grow something. One of the best things about my life group is sometimes when when somebody will say, well, I've heard this and it was the first time I'd ever really seen the Bible say that. That is the most beautiful thing I think I've ever heard in a life group. Because why? Because the Holy Spirit just showed them something they had not seen before. I've been in, in conversations with some of you like my marriage was, man, it was just horrible. It was horrible. And then all of a sudden we started coming to church and we got into relationship and all of a sudden our marriage isn't so bad anymore. It's not because they found somebody worse than them. It's because the Holy Spirit became to work in them and they realized there is more to our marriage than we understood. I've seen literally, I remember this well, where we were in New Orleans and there was a church and there was a 70-year-old plus man running down. I've told this story a couple times. 
Why? Because his wife was in community with other people. They were praying together for his salvation. And after 70 plus years, he said, enough, I'm giving in. And he came to know Jesus. And I don't know how long he lived after that, but I'm sure he left some sweet years after that because Jesus was in his heart. And why? Because his wife was in community with other sisters in the gospel saying, hey, let's just pray for him. And one day he'll come. One day he'll come. One day he'll come. He came. Why are you sitting here? Because somebody's been praying for you going, one day they'll come. They'll come. I will continue to invite. I'm going to continue to pray. And guess what? You're sitting in that seat because somebody prayed. Why? Because they got trained in community. They got trained in this idea that if we can come together and we can unify, then great things happen. As we come together, as we get into community, we're going to see that we don't have a life group big enough for everybody. We need more. And so we're praying for some of you right now that God would encourage you to step out and become a life group leader. And some of you are like, oh, I don't teach. I didn't ask you to teach. I just said, would you walk through life with other people? We can teach you to facilitate. It's a whole lot easier than teaching. But would you be willing to put your life on the line and and walk in community with other people because they need you? We need you. And God has an opportunity for you. Would you be willing to serve in one of our life group ministries or one of our age group ministries with our students, our children, our preschool? Because our children, they need you. I love when Eric says, it's not the next generation, it's this generation. Because the last time I checked, we're in the room together. So this generation of church, regardless of how old you are, needs you. I only have a couple minutes, then you put them to good use. And we will train you in community to use whatever time you have, whatever skill set you have, to go for the kingdom. As we wrap up on, or get to the end, I want to look at toward the end of chapter 18. Verse 18 says this, chapter 18, verse 18. After staying for some time, Paul said farewell to his brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. He shaved his head because of a vow that he had taken, and we reached Ephesus. He left them there. How do you like that for a travel companion? Because him and he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a little bit longer, he declined. But he said farewell and added, I will come back to you again if God wills. Then he set sail from Ephesus. Moving down to 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived at Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit, and he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although they knew he only knew about John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and after Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. When, they walked, when he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters uh, who wrote to the disciples welcomed him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those by grace that he had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So on a board, let me tell you right here. Our mentality too often is the fact that we will just, hey, this is it. This is the end of the story. Somebody brought us in, we grow together, we just keep it going, and whatever happens, happens. Scripture is telling us that is not the end of the story, there's more to it, because you take these two people right here, and their discipleship process, they were brought in by Paul, they spent time growing, and then they came out and helped out Apollos. Right here, this moment, 
They were empowered. And that's one of the things for us. For t- strategic multiplication not only means that we're equipped, it not only happens best when we train ourselves in community, but strategic multiplication means that at some point we become empowered to go do something for the kingdom. And for some of you, that's it. You've been trained, you've been ready. It's now time to empower you to go use those gifts. And so what's happening out here is they are now with Apollos. Apollos has become, he's going to be a great leader in his own right. In fact, later in the New Testament, Paul's going to have this moment where everybody's like, well, I follow Apollos and I follow Paul and I do this and that. And he's like, wait a minute, hold on. We're the same team. So whether Apollos started the conversation and I finished the conversation, all glory to God because we're talking about people coming to know Jesus Christ. But Apollos didn't just get there. If you read the scripture and you heard me clearly, it said that he only knew to a certain point. He only knew to John's baptism. There's so much more after John's baptism to Jesus Christ. Would we not agree? And so here in this moment, it took the 18 months of teaching, the 18 months of Bible study and community and sharing, and they poured it into somebody else. And because of an ordinary couple named Aquila and Priscilla, because of them dedicating themselves to a life group, dedicating, dedicating themselves to a ministry, they were able to take a future leader and pour into him what he was missing. <clears throat> Some of you, that's, what, that's what's left for you. You need to pour into somebody what you have already been poured into. You need to take the scriptures and you need to go find somebody and invest in them. It could be somebody you're sitting next to right now. It could be somebody at work. It could be somebody in your house. But you need to begin to pour into them what is, what is left, what is, what is next. What more is there about the gospel? Because I believe with all my heart, if we will strategically place ourselves in community, mutual submission community, where we can grow together, we can study together, we can share together, then not only will this be enough, but we'll want to go do it more. And we're going to want to do it not only here, but around the world. We want to multiply. We value multiplying ourselves in such a way that the gospel extends far beyond us. And for some of you, that's a scary proposition because that might mean something. Maybe I need a change. Maybe I actually do need to invite that person I've been thinking about. I'll never forget, I was in a conversation with a guy at a local radio station, talking to him about some things happening at the church and some things that we're trying, and, and he was asking me questions. And so we got on this conversation without boring you with those details. We are just saying, well, we've talked about doing this, and we've talked about doing that. And he just, he just kind of put his hand on the table and goes, hold on, hold on, hold on. You said that phrase so many times. What are you doing about it? Yeah, that's what I said too. I was like, wow, I don't know. Maybe it's time you go start thinking about that. And so for us, we start thinking about that. What do we do here? We want to pour ourselves into you. For some of you, can we just talk about you for a minute? Right now, you're, you're over here on this side of Paul, and you have some friends that have been trying to pour into you, invite you into church, and praise God you're here. But it's not enough that you're here. We want to be in community with you. We want you to come in and get engaged in a Bible study, in a life group. We'll have some friends right outside these doors. They want to help you get into a life group. They'd love to connect you, introduce you to some folks, just talk to you. We want you to get involved. If you have children, we want them to get involved in our, in our ministries. Preschool, children, student ministries. We have some great people. We'd love for them to get involved. We want you to go on mission trips with us, growing with us as we serve. Mr. Haddad said, why don't you come take a trip? 
Some of you went, oh, no, not going there. But if Jesus opened the door, would you go? Yes, we need to. Because we need to do whatever it takes to develop disciples. And for some of us, you've been here so long, you've grown, you've built relationships, it's time to go build into somebody else. You've been equipped, you've been trained, you're empowered. Let's go do it for the kingdom of God. This morning, some of you are like, well, what is this about me? I'm going to tell you, you can't do any of this without a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we get ready to wrap up and we begin to do our response time, I want to invite you to come to the altar and to the crosses, one of the mezzanine, two here on the floor, prayer partners at either side. And if you say, hey, I, I need to get into what you're talking about, then let's start with that relationship with Jesus Christ. Our prayer partners will talk to you. I'll be happy to talk to you. My friend Andy's right here. Eric's right there. We would love to sit there and talk to you about Jesus Christ and how you can come into fellowship with him. Maybe you just need to pray about it. You know, hey, I've just, I've been, I've been kind of soaking and, and been a consumer, not a contributor. And it's time for me to be a contributor. Then maybe you need to make that a prayer on the cross and say, God, whatever it looks like, whatever it's called, I lay it at your feet today. Help me to be a contributor instead of a consumer. And you pray about it. Maybe there's a person you need to invite into the church and you just want to pray about that person saying, I need to be that entry point for them. I need to strategically multiply myself into them. Then you do that today. Maybe you just want to come and you say, you know what, Jesus, I've totally forgotten that your mission continues through me. And you just want to get back in community with him. You want to get back. Maybe you just want to take the Lord's Supper this morning in remembrance of him, remembering all that he's done for you and getting into relationship with him, following through with that relationship. Because, guys, it is not enough for us to come in Sundays and just collect numbers. The mission of God doesn't end on this side of heaven. And we are not about to let it die right here at the fellowship. We want to multiply ourselves. We want to grow ourselves. We want to be strategic. Above all things, we want Jesus and the Holy Spirit to move and direct us. Because one thing that's absent from this that we definitely need to say is, why did it go from... 12 to 125 to thousands upon thousands and now millions upon millions and billions of people. Not only because of the strategy that church put in place, but because the Holy Spirit got involved in each person's life. And we want that for you. So as you respond to the gospel today, as you respond to the message, if you need to do anything, you want to talk through some things, be happy to. After service, you want to talk, I'll be happy to be out at the Welcome Center and meet with you. Love to talk to you about how you can multiply your faith through this fellowship for the kingdom of God.